rest of us, I invite you to open your Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So I want to start by telling you a true story that's recounting, recounted in the book Truth That Sticks. It's about um, an Olympic athlete named Matt Edmonds. He was one shot away from the Olympic gold medal. Up to that point, he had dominated the men's 50-meter, three-position rifle target event at the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens. All he needed was to score a 7.2 to win, and Edmund's lowest score in his first nine shots was 9.3. He took his position. He focused on the crosshairs in his viewfinder. He carefully brought the rifle down. He honed in on the dead center of the target, steadied himself, breathed in slightly, let it out a bit, held it, and gently squeezed the trigger. As soon as the firing pin hit the primer, Edmonds knew he had hit the bullseye. He had won his second gold medal. But something was not right. The target had not registered the shot. The, the judges huddled in disgust, allowing Edmonds to shoot again because of the apparent malfunction until someone noticed an extra shot on the target in the next lane. Edmonds had hit the bullseye of the wrong target. He had fired at the target in lane three while shooting in lane two, and so his score did not count. He dropped to eighth place, and his dreams for that Olympic gold were filed forever in the overstuffed folder labeled, if only. Can you imagine? Investing such an extraordinary amount of time, emotion, energy, and resources trying to hit that bullseye, and you finally hit it, only to find out that you were aiming at the wrong target. The sermon series we're beginning this morning is intended to make sure that doesn't happen. Especially if you're a parent, particularly as it relates to parenting. As a parent, if you're a parent here this morning, don't you want to make sure in your parenting that you're aiming for the right target? What is the purpose of parenting anyway? And, and by the way, if you're not a parent, I'll try to make sure during this series that there's something for you as well. But over the next couple months, we'll especially be focusing on the challenges and the privileges of parenting. And today we start with the question, what is the purpose of parenting anyway? What's the target that we're trying to hit? And to help us answer that question and to guide us through this series, we're going to stay in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which we worked through over a lot of this past year, this, this, uh, um, this New Testament book that in past months we've, we worked all the way through. We're going to go back and hit some highlights and there's a big challenge that I face in preaching on a practical topic like parenting. Because I'm a parent. I have four kids. And so by this time, I know a fair bit about parenting, for better or for worse. <laughs> and I also have a psychology degree, which means I know even more about parenting. Some of it is really insightful and really helpful, at least I think so. But 
I am here before you with Bible open, not as a parent, not as someone with a psychology degree, but as a minister of the gospel, someone tasked with preaching God's word from this book. And so what I want to be very careful to do is not give you my own parenting wisdom and put it in God's mouth as if it was coming from this book. Rather, I want to be careful to distinguish during this series between what's God's word and what's my practical advice. And if I forget or I get those confused, you have my permission to remind me politely <laughs> and to keep me straight. Sound good? Because the truth is the Bible does have some very important things to say about parenting, but less than we'd like, I think. And do you know why I think the Bible doesn't say more than it does? I think one reason is because God knows that there are a lot of different ways that you can parent and be a good parent. There isn't one size fits all because each parent has a different personality and parenting fads come and go and one culture parents this way and another culture parents that way. So there's more than one good way to parent. Because we parents are, are so ego-involved in our parenting, we'd like very much to do it right and to think we're doing it God's way. But since there isn't one right, right way, I want to be careful not to give you my way and act like it's God's way. But God does have things to teach us about parenting through his word. And so my hope is as we look at some passages from 1 Corinthians, we can gain some insight, some wisdom, some direction as to how to parent. All right, for today, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians with the question, what is the target we're trying to hit as parents? What's the purpose of parenting anyway? Because it would be really tragic if we worked super hard at parenting and we sacrificed a lot and it is a lot of hard work and it is a sacrifice only to realize in the end that we were aiming at the wrong target. Well, I think the question of what the purpose of parenting is is actually answered well right in the opening verses, right in the, the uh, introduction to Paul's letter to the Corinthians that, that we read earlier. Because right at the beginning, Paul tells all of us who we are. Paul gives us, Paul reminds us of our identity, and then Paul tells us who we're to become. Let me read it again. Paul, an apostle, or called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth. And then listen to this. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. That has to impact the purpose of parenting right there. Then Paul continues, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right at the beginning of his letter, Paul is reminding the Corinthians and us, if we are followers of Jesus, who we are and what we are called to be. Who are we? We are those sanctified in Jesus Christ. We are those called to be his holy people. 
Now, this is religious language, sanctified, holy. What does it mean? We can put the first slide up. Well, both of these words get at, we're on page six, um, get at one idea. In fact, in the original Greek language, they come from the same root word. It, to, to, um, to express this linguistic commonality that these words have in Greek, in English, you'd have to say, holified and holy people. Or you could say, sanctified and saints, sanctified ones. One of these is the process, sanctified, holified. The other is the product, holy people, saints. If we follow Jesus Christ, that's who we are, and that's who we are becoming. And it's who our kids are, and it's who our kids are to be becoming. And that has implications for our parenting. But we have to start with a question. What do these words mean, these religious words, sanctified, holy people? Basically, they mean to be set apart to belong to God. These words are shorthand for um, becoming the kind of people who are fitting to belong to God. They're shorthand for the story, the whole story of what God is doing in the world as he calls people to himself and calls us to follow him. That is, God is taking people who are selfish, who are self-centered, who are imperfect, who are distracted, people who have lost our way, and God is saying, come back to me. I want you to belong to me. I want to teach you and to, to help you to become the sort of people that I originally created everyone to be. I want to teach you what it really means to be human the way you were intended to be, which means I want to teach you to love people and to want what's best for others, not just what's best for you. I want to teach you that you have an overinflated view of your own ability to know what life is about and to make life work for yourself. And I want you to realize that things would go a lot better for you if you trusted me, your creator, and if you let me guide your life. Amen. God is saying, I want you to know, um, I, I want you, sorry, I... <laughs> I'm saying that backwards. God is saying, I know that you all want to live in a world of peace and prosperity and goodness and beauty and love, but you don't know how to get there. I do. Let me teach you. And many of, of us in this room have said yes to that offer. And we're still saying yes. And we've recognized, yes, God, when I do it my own way, I mess it up too often. And I'm sorry. We confessed our sins earlier today, right? Please forgive me for messing up my life and for having a part, playing a part in messing up this world. Please forgive me and please teach me how to live right, how to live a whole and healthy and good life the way you intended it. And the Bible word for that growth process in us is sanctification as we're growing to be those kinds of people. 
And the product as that occurs in us is that we increasingly become holy people. That's our identity. That's our trajectory that we become people who are God's people, people who belong to God and who are becoming how God wants us to be. Are, are you following me so far about what these words holiness and sanctified mean? So how does this apply to parenting? And if you're not a parent, then, then this is your goal, to grow to become like this yourself and to have, help other people become this way. But if you are a parent, you have to view the purpose of parenting and the target of parenting in light of that big picture, that purpose, that identity. The purpose of parenting is to cooperate with that process so your kids get sanctified too, so that they become holy people. So that they know who they are and who they are to become. Now that, that might seem obvious to, to a lot of us in a general sense that we want our kids to, to grow to be what God wants them to be and, and to grow to be mature and faithful and godly. But there are a lot of distractions in parenting, right? There are a lot of other targets set up in parallel shooting lanes that say, aim for this. The culture set some of them up and we as parents set some of them up too. Let's talk about what some of them are. And here I'm speaking from my own experience as a parent. One purpose we might have for our kids is we want them to make us look good. Especially when we come to church. We want them to show up relatively nicely dressed and freshly scrubbed with rosy cheeks so that we come across as a nice, clean-cut Christian family. Never mind that we bickered in the car all the way to church, right? Once we walk in the church door and put on our Sunday smile, we want our kids to make us look good. We want them to be polite, to be respectful, to be obedient, to be clean cut. Well, if you feel that pressure as a parent, let me relieve you of it. Here at this church, we don't expect your family to look like that. Because we know that many families aren't really like that. In fact, truth be told, not even the pastor's family is like that. So don't put that kind of pressure on yourself and don't put that kind of pressure on your kids. Because that purpose to be that focus on the family poster family, if, if you know that organization, is a trap. It's a false target which competes with and can be a substitute for the real target, which is that we and our kids are genuinely growing to be holy. And holiness, despite how some have used that word, it isn't about how we look or our outward behavior so much as it's really about the kind of people we're becoming on the inside. Genuinely, really. And that's messy. And that's a process. And our kids are in process. And they aren't always going to make us look good along the way. So that's one target, one goal we want to avoid, trying to raise kids that make us look good. Second, here's another a related purpose that we might be chasing in parenting. And that's raising kids who are compliant. 
kids who do what we say, kids who follow the rules. Now, I'm not against obedience at all. I'm all for it in its proper context, which is relationship. But what I'm talking about is when I want my kids to unquestioningly obey me because I said so, simply because it makes my life a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. Because kids are challenging to live with, right? They're loud. They have a lot of energy. They are impulsive. They're messy. They're immature. <laughs> and all of that can be really annoying at times. And so wouldn't it be nice if they just did everything we told them to do the moment we asked them to do it? Be quiet. Lower your voice. Clean that up. Don't touch that. Stop fighting with your sister. Put that down. Stop whining. Watch your language. Turn that off. Stop doing that, right? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if they just listened the first time right away, if they were compliant? It would make our life so much easier and so much more comfortable. Again, I'm very much in favor of obedience, but we have to choose our battles. Because we can't enforce every rule that would make our life easier. We have to let kids be kids and not squelch their spirits. So why should our kids obey us? Is it for our comfort? Is it to make our life better? Or is it to train them to respect authority at appropriate times and in appropriate situations and to curb their independent streaks and to train them to respect us enough that when they do something stupid like run out into the street and we yell stop, that they actually stop for their own good and for their own safety. So what I'm getting at is that compliance in itself is a false target. Just, just trying to raise kids who always obey us right away and follow all the rules is not raising kids who grow up to be holy. The way the Bible defines holiness. Because the kind of obedience we need to instill in our kids is an obedience that respects us parents as their loving teachers, as sources of wisdom, who are trying to guide them, albeit imperfectly, to become good people who know and love God more. All right, there's more we could say about that. But, but third, the flip side of, of, of that false target is another false purpose, um, and that's to raise kids who are totally free to express themselves and be independent where we don't at all want to stifle their spirits. We want them to be free to be whoever they are with no boundaries, little guidance, and no discipline. And that seems like a nice idea, and it's really popular these days, especially around here. But do you know how kids turn out when they're raised this way. First of all, often kids raised this way are insecure because kids innately want to know what the boundaries are. They want to know what they can and can't do. And if we don't give them boundaries, they are just at the mercy of their feelings in the moment and their impulses and and so um, maybe they can't verbalize th this, but they feel insecure and they feel out of control. 
because they are. Also, each of us is a bundle of desire, some good, some bad. I might desire food when I'm hungry. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if I desire that candy bar that Johnny has? And if Johnny walks away for a minute and I want that candy bar, can I just take it? Follow my desire? And maybe my passion for art is good. My passion to draw and to paint and to be creative. But, but what about my passion to yell at my teacher when she tells me it's time to put away my art supplies, we're doing something else? Should I express that passion too? You see, kids who are always taught and encouraged to express themselves with no boundaries, no training between good passions and bad passions, they can turn out to be little monsters. Maybe you've met some. <laughs> they might be your little darling, but for the rest of us, we have a hard time dealing with them. We don't want to teach them. We don't want to have them around. And when they grow up, we don't want to be their co-workers, and we don't want to be their friends, and we don't want to stay married to them. Because they're selfish, and they're inconsiderate. Because to be truly mature, you've got to be self-controlled. And we need the wisdom to know when we can pursue and go after what we want and when we need to give up what we want in order to be considerate and caring and loving towards someone else and to be able to work as a team. So just teaching kids to be free and, and self-expressive with no boundaries is a false target. It won't lead to kids who are mature or godly or holy. All right, then one last fourth uh, false target. And that is to raise successful kids the way the culture around us defines success. And here's the typical definition around here. Our child needs to grow, first of all, grow up and not do drugs and not get in trouble with the law and not get pregnant or get anyone else pregnant so that they can go to college, hopefully a really good college. Which means, of course, our child needs to work hard at their schoolwork. But for getting into a great college, that's not enough anymore. Now they also need to be in a lot of activities to build the sort of portfolio that colleges these days are looking for. And besides, all these activities help to keep them busy so they don't get in trouble with drugs or girls or boys or whatever. Right? That's how success is defined around here. Successfully navigating the, the temptations of, of adolescence so that they don't get derailed. That's, that's what you know, parents are nervous about for their kids. And, and building that portfolio to get them into a great school so they can have a great job. Let me ask you, what does all of that have to do with being holy, with being God's holy people? None of it's wrong in and of itself, but how much does it distract you as a parent from the real goal of parenting? Let me tell you a story about this. It's from a book called um, Faith Driven Families, and I'm summarizing and slightly editing it. Not long ago, the author writes, I sat down with a grieving father. He wasn't grieving because his child had died, but over something potentially far worse. 
His son Thomas had grown up in church. He was a good kid. He was a fixture in the youth group. He dated a girl from the church. He went to youth camp. He even participated in a mission trip. However, when he went off to college, things changed. His parents had heard of the dangers of, of secular school, so they even guided him toward a Christian university. He was an outstanding athlete. He had won a baseball scholarship. So why was the father grieving? As it turned out, there was a darker side to Thomas's life. Things were, were lurking beneath the service that, uh, surface that his mom, dad, youth pastor, and Sunday school teacher never saw. Once he was away at All-American Christian University, that darker side began to surface. First, Thomas stopped attending church or participating in other Christian fellowship on campus. He was not plugged into relationship with other believers. Moreover, there was no sense of personal holiness, no pursuit of Christian disciplines in his life. Next, Thomas began to struggle a bit in his classes. He'd always been an A-B student, but now he was struggling just to pass his midterms in some of his classes. Upon closer ac uh, examination of his academic struggles, they found that Thomas was staying out late and drinking heavily and often missing classes. Finally, Thomas was suspended from his baseball team when a random drug test revealed that he had taken anabolic steroids. The father was so distraught that he did not allow Thomas to return for his second year. He opted instead to place him in a local community college until the young man could get his head on straight. Upon hearing Thomas's story, I, I cried to console this grieving father, the author writes, as best I could. He cried for a while, and then he asked me a question I don't think he wanted answered. Where could I have gone wrong? He asked as he shook his head in disgust. Over the next several days, he and I unpacked the situation and dealt with some very tough issues. I'm not suggesting this case is cut and dry, but we did find some very familiar patterns. First, Thomas's lack of commitment in spiritual matters was not as strange as it seemed. As I talked to the father, I learned that Thomas was more than just a naturally gifted ball player. This kid had been playing baseball since he was six and started taking private instruction at nine. He had been part of a traveling squad at age 12 and was an all-star at every level. This man and his wife had gone to great lengths to see to it that their son became the best baseball player he could be. This also meant that during the summer and the fall, their church participation was sporadic at best. Like many parents, they found themselves traveling to tournament after tournament to be out on Sunday, uh, or rather they prayed for the opportunity to be out on Sunday because that meant they were praying, playing for a title somewhere. What they didn't realize is that they were teaching Thomas to prioritize baseball over Jesus. They were teaching Thomas that he should honor God unless it's baseball season. Thus, when Thomas got to college and had to choose between Christian fellowship and hanging out with his teammates, the foundation for his decision had already been laid. When he had a choice between extra time in chemistry lab or extra time in the batting cage, he knew intuitively which choice to make. And when he had a choice between sitting on the bench for the first time in his life or taking a shortcut 
to a bigger body and a faster bat. He struggled for a bit, but eventually he made his decision based on the one thing that had directed his path since he was six years old. In other words, Thomas's lack of commitment to spiritual matters laid the groundwork for his moral compromise. Christianity had never been the center of Thomas's universe. It was always something on the periphery. Church, and more importantly, Jesus Christ, always orbited around baseball, that bright, shining star at the center of his universe. Thomas's father had never missed one of his son's games. Moreover, it was his father who taught him how to throw a curveball, how to put his body in front of a grounder, how to turn a double play. However, when asked whether or not he led his, his son and his family in worship, his, the father's only response was, I never thought about that. In other words, this man had spent countless hours and immeasurable amounts of energy teaching his son how to be a ball player, but hadn't done a thing to teach him how to be a Christian. When I pressed him on the issue, he said, I thought the youth pastor was doing a good enough job of that. There were certain things for which Thomas's parents were willing to sacrifice all. Unfortunately, their son's walk with the Lord was not one of those things. Well, that is a stark cautionary tale. <laughs> and, and my purpose in sharing it isn't to um, legalistically claim that um, it will turn out that way or that you can't be passionate about baseball or, or any other activity or, or that your kids should never miss church for a game. But rather, it's, it's to encourage you to step back and say, as a parent, what target am I really aiming at? When it comes to, to your purpose, if you're a parent, what is the real bright shining star in your family that everything else needs to orbit around? Is your first commitment as a parent to raise your kids to love God, to, to be godly, to have character, or is it success according to some other definition? Now, the pressures are real in the culture around us, right? Uh, we have a child on the travel team. A and when all the parents get together and, and they're cheering for the team and they're, and they're wanting to win and they're signing th their kids up for, for more training and more coaching and extra tournaments, or, or when, when Ann and I are talking to parents about the, the great shining goal of, of getting into some elite college. And we hear all that those parents are doing to groom their kids for those colleges. And we start to feel uh, like bad parents in comparison. We feel the pressure. We feel the pull. We feel the lure. And so we've got to, to remind ourselves of what purpose, what target we're actually aiming for. And, and we, we've got to, to guard it in, intentionally and repeatedly. Um, and decision by decision, we've, we've got to let everything else take second place by comparison. So according to God's word, what's the number one purpose of parenting? I think the opening verses of 1 Corinthians stated as clearly as anywhere. 
Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. That's what your kids are called to be. Are you as a parent helping them to get there or are you aiming at a different target? In the weeks to come, we'll learn more on how to hit the target that Paul lays out for us here.